Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Daniel Miller, host of the Los Angeles Times podcast, Larger Than Life, and this is OPP. bless everybody and welcome to another episode of OPP, other people's podcasts, America's number one discovery platform that highlights your favorite podcasters and the dope shows they created. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is Los Angeles Times business reporter, Daniel Miller, host of the amazing podcast, Larger Than Life. From LA Times Studios, the team that brought you Dirty John and Man in the Window is now bringing you Larger Than Life a docu-series about Big Willie Robinson, a six-foot-six, muscle-bound street racer who preached peace a quarter mile at a time. Cops and criminals, movie stars and miscreants, even blood and crips. Out of the drag strip, Big Willie can get them all to see eye-to-eye, easing tensions and making L.A. a safer and more unified place. In this episode, I got to learn more about Daniel, we get into his podcaster's picks, and of course, we get into his dope show, Larger Than Life. Let me introduce you to Daniel Miller. Boom. There we go. Daniel, what's up, man? How's everything going? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. You, you know, after after you, uh, uh, you know, hurt my heart here because of my Knicks hat, I don't know how I feel right now, but I, I like you. <laughs> well, it comes it comes from a place of love. As a Lakers fan, we've had some tough years. So so I have a lot of empathy for you as a Knicks fan. I mean, tough years. I mean, how many titles? Uh, yeah, I, I won't even <laughs> I won't even count them out for you one by one. But you guys have titles, too. I, I know it's in the past, but. You know, look, I'm always looking for the bright side of things. Yeah, I think Nixon was president last time we won some titles. Yeah, we can boast uh, uh, a title or two in the Obama era. Are you are you from uh, from L.A.? I am. I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised. Yo, what's the vibe like in L.A., man? Because I, I know that I'm from Virginia and I moved to New York City and I was able to see a large... Uh, I guess I was a part of the wave of the change of seeing New York City develop into this new thing and Brooklyn develop into this new thing. Um, but what about for yourself? Like, how's L.A. changed? Well, I think L.A. is having this incredible moment. Um, our food scene is just next level these days. Art and architecture as well. It's a fascinating time to live here. We have such a diverse city. Um, you know, I wouldn't trade it for anywhere in the world. Uh, t- tell me your journey of how you got over to the LA Times. So I grew up in Los Angeles, like I said. I grew up reading the newspaper every morning at you know the uh, the breakfast table, and uh, I would always first turn to that sports section. I used to read a columnist named Jim Murray, legendary columnist here at the LA Times, and um, you know from an early age I wanted to be a writer, um, and the LA Times was always this dream. Um, I joined the paper in 2013, um, started covering the entertainment industry. Uh, which is something that I had done in the years prior as well. I worked at The Hollywood Reporter covering the the business of Hollywood. Um, and so that's what brought me to the LA Times. And I, I spent uh, about five years doing that here. Uh, it's an incredible beat here in Los Angeles. Obviously, 
show business is kind of the lifeblood of the city and there's no shortage of great stories to tell. So really enjoyed that. What what part of LA did you grow up in? So I grew up in West LA and um, uh, went to UCLA for for college uh, where I wrote for the Daily Bruin, the uh, school paper. So I really did stay local, Um, covered sports for the Daily Bruin, covered the football team. Uh, mediocre football team at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that it, it gives me a unique perspective here at the newspaper. Um, being from here, uh, having a sense of how the city has changed uh, over the decades. Uh, and we explore some of that in the Larger Than Life podcast. Um, uh, you know, the main subject, Big Willie Robinson, this legendary street racer, uh, his heyday was before I was born. But uh, parts of his story, uh, you know, do take place in an era that I recall. Um, and, you know, I like to think that I can bring a little something to the story because of that. One thing, too, when you grow up in an area, I joke with my friends here in New York City, I say, man, you're, you're at, an, at an advantage, disadvantage, because you live in such a great city that where else do you go? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like New York offers sure. so much and L.A. offers so much. Like from growing up uh, in L.A., what has been the biggest difference in L.A.? Uh, from when you grew up and into now? Because I know a lot of people from New York have moved out there too uh, in recent times. Sure. Well, I think this might sound a little wonky, um, but it's true. I have to say um, transportation and the way people get around the city has vastly changed in the last decade or so. I mean, uh, we had a subway that was built decades ago, and uh, I think it took quite a while for it to gain real traction. But look, uh, freeway traffic isn't going away, and um, our public transportation system has continued to grow. And the reality is you can get a train uh, in Los Angeles and head all over uh, all over the Southland, really. And I think that's really f- opened up the city to people. I mean, look, for a time I lived in Hollywood and I could walk 10 minutes and get on the subway and take it to uh, work in downtown L.A. That's an, an experience that I think a lot of people don't associate with L.A. And I think that um, it, it's really helped change the city. Um, we're out here in El Segundo at the L.A. Times headquarters, and there's light rail that comes within, you know, uh, I don't know, a quarter mile of our office. And I think that's really freeing. Uh, I mean, you know all the cliches about traffic being a nightmare and nobody walks in LA, but I don't really think that's really true anymore. And I think that's really changed the dynamics in this city. So I don't know, that's a little bit like of a, a nerdy answer, but I think it's true. Uh, how's the uh, transition been uh, from doing, you know, a print work into now doing this audio medium of, of podcasting? How's that transition been for you? Oh, it's been a fascinating journey to learn how to put together a podcast and, and uh, you know, immerse myself in the world of audio storytelling. I really loved it, I have to say. There's kind of an intimacy with audio storytelling that I think is unmatched and a chance to really create a world, whether it's via music or the voices you hear, that's just, you know, uh, something you cannot do in print for obvious reasons. I will say that you know, the transition, I think, was relatively smooth, really because of the incredible people that I got to work with on this project. The LA Times had support from a production company called Neon Hum Media, uh, which is run by Jonathan Hirsch. Uh, and the team that Jonathan put together really made this easy for me. Our editor was Catherine St. Louis. Our producer was Grant Irving. And, you know, whether it was tips on how to restructure a sentence so it, it sounded right when you when you said it aloud or just even the way, you know, we thought about music for this story. I mean, there was just a remarkable team 
that was part of larger than life that made it so smooth. Uh, I want to take this kind of back, back, back in the day before we get to the, the, the current moment. But how did you first discover the medium of podcasting in general? Sure. So um, I am not embarrassed to say I discovered it via Serial. Uh, I think probably like many people, many Americans, frankly, Serial was the, um, you know, the entry point for me. I was captivated by it. And then as a, uh, just as a listener, but then of course, as a journalist, the, the level of storytelling and the way that, you know, um, that tale was teased out over, you know, this multi-episode arc, you know, it really resonated with me. Um, I would say the podcast though, that for me really solidified my interest in the medium was S-Town. I just love the sort of slow burn nature of it, the twists, and it was just the world that the the creators built was just so evocative, this sort of Southern Gothic world. I just, you know, I was hooked. Uh, was there an instant moment where you realized you would want to start a podcast or you, or you would want to step into this world? Um, you know, I have to say it came with this project on Big Willie Robinson. It wasn't listening to Serial or S-Town or any of the other podcasts that I became interested in. Um, I, I certainly admired the medium and I think maybe thought about it in the abstract, but it wasn't until I learned about Big Willie Robinson and his story that I thought, I want to do this. Yeah, let, let's get into into Big Willie Robinson and, and Larger Than Life, this new amazing podcast. I listened to uh, the first two episodes yesterday and I'm a really, really big fan. I wasn't aware of his story. So uh, tell us who uh, Big Willie Robinson is. Oh, well, thanks. I, I, I appreciate you listening. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, Big Willie Robinson was an underground L.A. legend. He was a street racer who pushed a vision of peace through wheels, and it actually worked. He eventually got buy-in from cops and politicians and the powers that be in L.A., and um, the city came together to give him the tools he needed to make street racing safer. Um a lot of his story takes place in the wake of the 1965 Watts riots, which I think really revealed for all the world just how fractured and damaged L.A. was. Uh, this was largely a segregated city, a city whose police force was known for its brutality and racism. And Big Willie pushes a message of peace, um, and it really resonated. You know, his heyday was in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, he died in 2012. And uh, his group, the Brotherhood of Street Racers, lives on. You know, it's it's an interesting message because uh, I think th- these days it can seem kind of Pollyanna, the idea that cars can heal wounds and, and bridge divides. But, um, you know, as the podcast lays out, it did work. Uh, a lot of folks aren't familiar, you know, I'm, me being a New Yorker, I'm not familiar with car culture and what it's like in L.A. Uh, what is the significance of car culture in Los Angeles? Sure. So I think you could argue that L.A. is the, you know, car culture capital of of the country, if not the world, whether it's, you know, the muscle cars of the 60s, the low riders of the 80s and 90s, a lot of the culture that we all know, um, culture that you've seen in movies like The Fast and Furious, uh, it was created here. Look, we are the city of the car and people express themselves via their rides here. It's it. It sounds a little cheesy, but it's the truth. Yeah. Um, and look, you're spending an hour or two in your commute, maybe. You want you want to be comfortable. You want to have fun. You want to be fast. You want to be able to express yourself. Um, and I think that that's kind of the backdrop of this podcast. We do get to explore Southern California car culture and, and the history of it. Um, you know, street racing, of course, here we've got, you know, uh, at least late at night, we've got some wide open boulevards. Uh, you know, that really developed here, too. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, what was the, the light bulb moment for you that you were going to cover uh, Big Willie Robinson and tell his story? Why, why this story? So I first learned of Big Willie Robinson in spring 2017. Uh, I was out at a dusty car lot in the San Fernando Valley for a story entirely unrelated to the street racer. And I stumbled upon one of his old race cars. It was being stored on this this old car lot. Uh, And I learned a little bit about him then. The car was in bad shape, uh, battered. You know, uh, it was missing its roof. And... um, when I, you know, heard about him, I was so intrigued because here was this outsized character who accomplished so much, and yet this race car was kind of wasting away on this car lot, and I just had to know more. Um, that isn't really when I thought that this should be a podcast, though. That came much later, when I really began to explore his world, and I kind of immersed myself in some of the music that I, you know, uh, knew he he loved. Uh, I, I wound up speaking to a lot of people around him who, you know, m- would mention names like Curtis Mayfield or the Rascals. And I'd listen to that and I'd drive around the city and I'd just think, you know, this is an audio story. You want to hear that music. You want to hear that funk, that R&B, that rock and roll. And you, you also want to hear those fast cars revving their engines. And it sort of became apparent then. What were the challenges for you? Being This is your, your first podcast. So was there a learning curve? And what was that learning curve? process for you in in producing this oh there was definitely a learning curve i mean look i had to um i mean forget about the storytelling for uh audio that i had to learn uh i had to learn how to properly record interviews right i had to learn how to properly mic up the exhaust pipe of uh, 1969 dodge charger daytona and record some um uh, some audio of the car revving and not you know bring our producer a file that was totally useless so there was there was you know technical stuff i had to learn there was you know journalism skills i had to learn and and look i really loved it it's kind of rare that you know in the middle of your career you can dive in and get out and and, you know kind of go to school in a way uh how long did it take to make it all possible and gather all that information so i began reporting the story in earnest in um i would say may of 2018 and the first couple months of it were just so much fun. I was, you know, uh, out there with my recorder talking to anybody I could find, um, you know, multiple interviews a day. Uh, I traveled to Indianapolis for a car auction. I went to Chicago for an interview with a street racer. Uh, I was really learning about this world. Um, a, a big part of that process was hanging out with and interviewing members of Big Willie's Brotherhood of Street Racers. Like I said, the group is still um, alive and they were instrumental in helping me understand the story. So they have monthly gatherings um, at a clubhouse on South Central Avenue in South LA. And I went to some of those gatherings uh, and, you know, got to know the story better there. Um, You know, by, by the end of last year, the reporting, you know, was mostly done. Um, And then, you know, we really got down to the business of making this podcast. Uh, Does he, does he have existing family members, you know, children or a wife or, 
He does. And, and eventually um, the podcast does explore that. Early on in the show, you do hear from a handful of relatives, uh, a brother and a sister. Uh, his wife, Tamiko Robinson, is a huge part of the story. She's also passed away. She died before him, about a half decade before Willie. They did not have children. Um, again, it's something we eventually get into in the podcast. But connecting with the family that I could uh, interview was really key to understanding him, especially his early years. Uh, Willie grew up in a big New Orleans family. He was born in 1942. And uh, obviously, Louisiana was segregated at that time. And I think a lot of the, uh, the lessons he learned from his childhood were a big part of you know, shaping uh, his worldview. How many episodes are going to be a part of the series? So there are seven episodes of this series. The first two came out on a Tuesday, July 9th, and uh, it's been really gratifying to see the response so far. Because uh, from the story of, of Big Willie Robinson, you know, a lot of times that you know, I'm learning a lot of things about uh, about myself through other people, um, through the sure. process of, of interviewing. But what did you learn about Big Willie Robinson on a deeper level that you took away from him as a person, not actually meeting him and knowing him? Sure, that's a good question. So, Big Willie was a complicated man, and you know he left behind a, a tangle of questions. Um, but his dream was simple, and I said it before. He he dreamed he 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 believed in the unifying bond of of fast cars, and and he made that work. And I have to say that it's very easy to be cynical these days. I know I can be guilty of it, but. I think that his story can actually uh, teach us to be less cynical and to kind of embrace that optimism that those divides uh, can be bridged and people can come together. And I think that that's what I choose to take away from his story. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So, so Daniel, we're at a part of the show that I call our podcasters picks where I ask today's subject uh, to give me three podcasts that you enjoy and that you love uh, and describe them to us so give me three podcasts that you enjoy my man sure i'm i'm very excited to do this um i even <laughs> brought some literature with me okay let's go <laughs> let's do it um and i want to say that a couple of these choices definitely are close to home um so the first one i want to talk about is shut out which is a podcast that was released last year by HuffPost. um the host is Catherine st louis um and the podcast is fantastic. It's about the fight to uh, vote in America. It's about voting rights. And um, Catherine St. Louis is, of course, the editor on our podcast. Uh, so while we were um, working on Larger Than Life, she was releasing this out into the world. I really can't think of a more timely podcast with an election coming up than this one. So check out Shut Out. Another one that hits close to home, uh, which came out more recently, is a podcast called Throwback uh, from Sports Illustrated. And it's about the rise of women's soccer in America. And uh, it was produced by Grant Irving, who's the producer of Larger Than Life. So this is such a fun podcast. It's about the first ever Women's World Cup in 1991, which people often forget even happened. Um, and it's the story of the U.S. women's national team during that World Cup. And of course, you know, uh, our national team just won the World Cup this past weekend. Another timely podcast, definitely worth checking out. The last one I want to talk about, I have no connection to at all, but I love it. Uh, it's called Last Scene. It's from the Boston Globe and WBUR, and it is about the Gardner uh, Museum art heist. I think this is the largest 
unsolved art heists in history. Okay. And it's a trip. You've got art historians talking one minute, the next minute you're listening to uh, these hardened criminals talk about how they would have stolen these paintings. Not saying they did it, but how they would have done it. Um, it's a trip. It's a lot of fun. Wow. With Daniel Miller, uh, before we get out of here, I have one last question. Why do you podcast? Well, I just think as a storytelling platform, podcasting is fantastic. I mean, the intimacy of hearing those sources' voices, hearing the emotion, hearing the tears, hearing the laughter, it's just fantastic. As a longtime print journalist, it's really freeing to be able to let audiences into a story in a unique way. And I think, you know, with Larger Than Life and the story of Big Willie Robinson, we have an amazing opportunity to share the slice of LA history, but also take them into this world, LA of the 60s and 70s, when, you know, something as simple as street racing could really help heal a city. Wow. Daniel Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to be on OPP, man. I- I'm really a big fan of Larger Than Life. And uh, I'm already, you know, the first two episodes in. I can't wait to catch the next five. And you're the man, dog. Go Knicks. <laughs> hey, I really appreciate it. Uh, go Lakers. And I'll be tuning in when they're in the garden next time. Hey, Lakers, Clippers, all that, man. It's a good time in La La Land. <laughs> for sure. But although I don't talk about the Clippers, got to say, Lakers for life. Okay, there we go. There we go. They don't <laughs> exist. Thank you so much, but I appreciate you. All right, I'll talk to you later. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of OPP. And to our special guest, Daniel Miller. I'll be sure to provide the links to his podcast, Larger Than Life, in the description of this episode. This episode was mixed by Mark Bird. This episode was edited by Bradley Naiman. Music for this episode was provided by Richie Quake. And I want to send a special thank you to my friends over at the LA Times, Clint Schaff, Vanessa Kerwin, and Allison Farias for making this interview possible. Lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, Silent Giants, which highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. And I'll be sure to provide the links for that in the description of this episode as well. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Pod bless y'all. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.